Welcome to the One Big Idea Podcast, your guide to making it in Web3. Each week, I sit down with the brightest founders, creators, and thought leaders to unpack the lessons, strategies, and trends you need to know for venturing into the world of crypto. This episode is brought to you by Rug Radio, the world's largest decentralized media company changing the way creators build, distribute, and own their content. To learn more about this creator's first community, visit Rug Radio at www.rug.fm. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of One Big Idea. I am joined this week live from London with Toby Lasso. Toby, how you doing? I'm doing really well. I uh, couldn't be more excited to be talking with someone who's such an amazing human being and such an amazing friend. Thank you for coming to London. Thank you for being in my city. Thank you for being here. Well, feeling is very mutual. Uh, we met, I guess it's been almost a year ago, in person at least. The first time we met in person was at Art Basel. I still remember Vinny, who is one of your artists, drawing on a mural next to Klon, and then we went and got sushi, and you know, we've been friends ever since. So it's it's cool. We've been able to traverse multiple places, whether it is uh, here in Miami, in LA. We're just globe trotting together, so it's only right. But I'm, I'm super stoked to have you on today. Really wanted to dive into Nocturnal. And I'll actually have you kind of give a, a brief bio description of what Nocturnal is um, and, and what you're looking to accomplish there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nocturnal is a full suite management company at its core. Uh, we wanted to redefine what the term management meant. I think over the last 50, 60 years, the term manager has been sort of dragged through the dust in a lot of different ways, mainly through the record industry, mainly through a lot of stealing off of artists, a lot of uh, interim pieces going wrong uh, and artists being left in the dust. Uh, But we still call ourselves a management company because that's what people understand. Uh, We're trying to reframe the idea of what a management company is. We primarily manage physical artists, whether that's oil painters, photographers, uh, digital artists, any art in any medium, uh, really, we're, we're keen to have, in, have on our roster uh, for a bunch of different reasons. And Nocturnal, as far as I'm aware, is one of the first Web3-based management companies. Bringing on my partner, Matt Morgan, uh, was a way to try and make sure that Nocturnal stayed rooted in original management. He comes from a background of uh, amazing caliber, working for 10 plus years across music management and uh, YMU most recently, uh, looking after Emilia de Moldenberg, Reggie Yates and magicians like Dynamo. And I come from the Web3 side, which is looking after artists like Vinnie Hager and, and my friend Will Nichols and a few other amazing people. Uh, trying to combine those two things to make a, a symbiotic relationship across technically Web 2 and Web 3 um, and, and finding a way to build together, um, to use a, a moniker of the of the space. Yeah, so we're going to definitely dive fully into Nocturnal and how you got to this point. I'd love to actually take a big step back and kind of give us an overview of how you got into Web 3, uh, yeah, what you've done in the space, and then we'll we'll move our way up to present day. Absolutely. Um, So when I was 18, I left to join the army back in England. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I needed some structure. Uh, And I ended up leaving as an officer at 25. And again, not knowing what I wanted to do again, but feeling a little bit more confident in my abilities to uh, enact things that I cared about, my dreams, etc. I moved out to America where my brother was living in California just to 
figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And, and I initially thought it was music management and through a whole bunch of very lucky failures, um, I ended up in the NFT space, you know, looking at, looking at uh, initially coins and, and, and getting involved in, in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then falling into the beginning of the NFT space. Uh, I was very lucky to have a mother who did a fine arts degree when I was growing up. And so I grew up a lot around a lot of art books and a lot of museum visits and uh, obsessed with pre-Raphaelite art mainly. Uh, and when the NFT the NFT community started becoming, you know, this this burgeoning amazing thing, I was like, wow, okay, my love of artwork and you know my desire to manage has sort of come together. And I remember being on a pretty prominent mushroom trip, looking in, in the mirror and being <laughs> like, oh wow, yeah, no, it wasn't music, it's art. That's what I was supposed to do. Um, and I had this amazing epiphany where I was like, yeah, I would love to start managing artists. And so I had that in the back of my head, NFTs. We're getting more and more popular. I famously minted five board apes and sold them all for point two, and ended up in. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, um, and I tell it. I tell it in a way that you know, hopefully, brings a little bit of of, of help to other people who've been in situations like that, where yeah. because I sold those those NFTs, I ended up in the Cool Cats Discord, mm-hmm. um, and all of my friends that I know now a year later have come through offshoots of that, whether it's the inimitable Andrew Wang, um, who is now one of the biggest thought leaders in the space, met him in the Cool Cats Discord, um, or it's Klon, the artist for Cool Cats, uh, who is one of my closest friends and, and confidants and, and amazing human beings, or it's Vinny, the first artist that I managed to connect with, get on the phone with, and then convinced to let me manage him. Uh, and that's that's the start of everything leading up to Letters, pretty much. Got it. And so, yeah, I would love to know the genesis of letters and how you decided to reach out to Vinny or what what did that process look like in the Cool Cats Discord? Yeah, so we, we like met each other in Cool Cats Discord, few messages back and forth, and then we followed each other on Twitter. And I realized very quickly by going through his media tab, I was like, wow, this guy is so talented and super interesting, very captivating way of like space management with, with art. And he could do it on everything, whether it was a piece of paper or a table or um, you know, a hat or, you know, literally anything can be added with his iconography style. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, you know, like I've been in a space a little while, been in a modded a couple of discords, you know, like understand what's going on. would love to get on the phone with you and see if you're interested in releasing a project or like what we could do to work together. And, and he responded very quickly and he was like, yeah, I would love to. I've been thinking about something my same. So it was kismet in its timing, really, because he'd been in the NFT space a year already and had really taken his time. He'd minted like three or four different one-of-ones, but really, really, really bedded himself into the space before making an idea of, of how he wanted to conquer it himself. And so the timings lined up perfectly. We got on a FaceTime and I think I have the date saved on my phone, like the the, the, the calendar invite, because I was like, I know this is going to be special. Yeah. And he gets on the phone, massive red walls on, uh, uh, red paint on the walls and it's just a it's just a skate kid you know in 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 his in his childhood bedroom and i immediately resonated with that because that's you know how i grew up um and within 5 minutes we had this innate understanding of each other and i left the call i stood up from my desk and i sort of like grabbed my head and i was like that's it like it's just clicked you know like yeah. this is this is going to be very very special he then flies out to um la Maybe two weeks later for the first ever Cool Cats meetup, uh, unofficial meetup, shout out. Um, people like Beignet um, and Kevin F who set up the, the first ever unofficial Cool Cats meetup. 
And he was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I could come out for that. And I was like, yeah, you come and stay at my house. And this guy, you know, like, talk about not making people off the internet. <laughs> this guy, <laughs> this guy flew across the country from Baltimore to L.A., to meet a random English kid who just moved there um, to hopefully work on something together. And, you know, from that point onwards, we started sitting down. Like the first day we got there, it was like super close friends already. And he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to release a project. I was like, how many pieces are you thinking? He said, 200, 300. And I said, can you do a thousand? Why? Why did you think a thousand? Because I'd just seen what Fidenza did. Um, if I'm being completely honest, yeah. um, and I and at the time we had 10k PFP projects and we had people releasing one of ones, and I looked at the idea of making a community big enough for volume to still be traded, for there to be enough access, for it to be put everywhere. I, I say it quite a lot, but and I mean it, and this is the the single most important thing to me, motif wise for Vinny's career is that I want everyone at some point to be walking down the street with their grandma. And to look at a piece of Vinny artwork on the wall and for their grandma to be like, that's a Vinny, you know. And so that permanence of understanding, that iconography that Vinny draws, it's so distinctive and based in history. Um, I was like, we need, we can't do 300. If you can do 1,000, that'd be amazing because I think the volume will work better that way. And I think that the distribution will work better that way. And we can cultivate a Discord community inside six weeks that will appreciate that. And it wasn't 10K, it was 10% of 10K. Mm-hmm. Um and it was again on a wing and a prayer and he sat he sat there and he was like yeah i think i can do it <laughs> and uh i mean he worked so hard for like four weeks straight to make sure that all the art was done and, and prepared and i think it's really served us well honestly as, as a model and we saw a bunch of people you know carbon copy that model afterwards um you know to to, to, to great acclaim too and i think that maybe we were one of the first people to look around that 1000 collection to make sure that that's a way to sort of stamp your name as an artist. Um, you know, there's a ton of different ways to do it, but I think it's been a great way to create an environment around Vinny that has developed a community. If we had only released 300 pieces, there'd be far less people in our community that would be there turning up excited about Vinny's artwork. You know, we minted it for 0.1 um, and it's gone as high as 8 ETH um, and, you know, bounced back and forth between there. And I think sometimes it can be a challenge, but most of the time I couldn't be more happy that we did it in the way that we did. Yeah. And how did you think about, I remember those early days of the, uh, of the letters discord. I was definitely in there. And, and how did you think about cultivating community? Was there any learnings that you took from cool cats and, and your experiences there that you brought over to letters? Yeah, that's a great question. And and it was, the answer is that it's 100% brought over ported from how we were feeling in the discord of cool cats uh, you know, Cool Cats in those early days, it was all positivity and excitement and like PG-13 vibes, you know, like we didn't want to meme to that degree where it was almost degenerate level, but we wanted to connect with each other and we wanted to make friends and we wanted to surround ourselves by interesting people and art. And that's why I think you've seen a lot of people who who have the same story that we do, you know, we're, we're Cool Cats originally. Um, and so we took things like uh, you know, like we, we never wanted anyone to grind for a whitelist. We 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 took fun competitions. We had a pumpkin carving contest because it was in, in the month of October. Um, we had an art contest. We had people who were the first one hundred have certain uh, roles in the Discord. And those founding principles, well, they seem kind of ridiculous uh, when you when when you say them out loud, but they make a lot of sense psychologically. You give someone a first one hundred role in a Discord, you're giving them 
the moniker that they were the first. They were there. They always own it. They're the foundation of the community. It's the idea of provenance, right? Like in the same sense of like, I was the first to own this or I own this in a lineage of people that are reputable and notable. The idea that, yeah, you were there first, that you found it first is incredibly important. And it also is like both status of being able to show that and display it. And it's like part of your identity. But also you think about just throughout time, how you're continually validating the efforts of the community. Because it's one thing to show up and be there. And it's another thing for the community managers and and the founders of the project to say, oh, we see you and we're rewarding you for, for these efforts. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, all it is is a badge, yep. you know, that you go into the Discord settings and make. Um, and yeah, it means... It has the, so much weight. It means the world to yeah. people, as it should. You know, like that's not me, you know... Um, trying to pie it off it's me saying that like something so simple can be so important yeah um and it's those like small minute curation points in in communities whether they're on discord whether on twitter that make the difference um in 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 these projects and their success really you know you it's it all comes down to curation yeah and it's so funny because the nft itself became a badge right like when you think of how people were it's not a pfp but people were using them as backdrops to their PFPs. You got to talk about that. What what really became a viral moment, it felt like overnight, all of a sudden, no matter if you had a cool cat, a doodle, a bored ape, you just saw all of these letters behind mm-hmm. these PFPs showing up everywhere on Twitter. Yeah, and, and that is glory to the to the most high. Our, our front-end developer, Dose, um, who is famed for creating the crypto, crypto ray rays yep. shout out the Love crypto ray rays um he had that idea he said you know like people don't want to change their pfp they're attached to it it's a board ape it's a cool cat it's whatever but what people can do is change their background um and that sort of vinnie iconography made it pop and it, yeah, he has to be given all the credit because before even vinnie created and finished the collection he went through and put them behind just the the, the cool cat founders pictures uh in the letters discord and everyone was like wow that's exactly I want what that. I want that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's a really beautiful thing. And I mean, like, it's so early in the chain of NFTs that we we look at it and it's like so obvious now. You know what I mean? But it took those coming up with it and making it a thing to make it a thing. And then you see projects month after month after month do the same thing and employ the same thing. The goalposts keep moving. The space keeps evolving. And it's as simple as putting something behind a PFP project, but really we're in the Ask Jeeves phase of Web3. You know? Yeah, it, it's really interesting when you think about this composable nature of NFTs because there's been all these different experiments, whether it's Danny Cole with creatures and being able to like change the metadata to change part of the face, or even something as like when Adidas went and dropped their track suits and all of a sudden you saw these board apes wearing like Adidas hoodies and track suits up there. It's it very much is like into the ethos of, you know, can we add things? Can we manipulate things? What will be the sum of this when you start adding to it? Uh, and it, it really felt like it was one of the first, if not like the first, that at least my time in the space to really do that. And now it's happening, you're right, at a much more frequent rate that we kind of take it for granted that it really wasn't a thing before. Yeah. And it's like badges of flair, yeah. right, Jeremy? You know and if you've ever seen Office Space, um, which is like, you know, you need 40 pieces of flair on you. It like, <laughs> freaks out. And she's like, I, I, you know, I have the minimum. Are you just doing the minimum or do you want a little <laughs> bit more? Like, um, and, and, you know, that accentuating of PFP projects, like I think of my friend Belfort, you know, an OG ape wearing that Ad- Adidas tracksuit. And that's a sign of so many things. It's like, hey, you know, I'm part of this drop. I'm behind it. I'm also a board ape. Like, 
so simple just to change one little piece, but can mean so much to the, your personal identity because all we're doing is curating personal identities online. Um, and yeah, it's, it's wild. I wonder where it will be in five years. Yeah, as do I. And it, it's beautiful. I mean, you guys just celebrated your one year anniversary. Was it last week? Pretty, pretty close. It was yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, well, yeah, congratulations yeah. again. Thank you. So pretty, pretty wild to look back on that. And I know there was a big airdrop and people should definitely check that out. I would like to talk about your next project that you worked on as well, Weather Report. For people that were in the space at the time, Weather Report, just to do like a little bit of background, was probably the most anticipated drop up to that point, like in the space. Everyone was talking about it. I'll kind of let you talk through what transpired leading up to the Mint, um, and then we can kind of dive in from there. Uh, if you want to kind of give an overview of the project and yeah, just leading up to the Mint. Yeah, absolutely. So. At the beginning of the year, I was already managing Vinny and through the Cool Cats as well, I'd met Will Nichols, a hyper-talented LA-based photographer um, with an amazing amount of success in streetwear previously, working with amazing brands um, and just just a, just a really, really amazing human being. And, and I sat down with him at the beginning of the year and, and said, I would really love to manage you and I'd really love to be a part of this journey with you and, and, and build together. And he agreed. And he said that him and his friend Zach, also a cool cat, had been thinking about a project, you know, for a few months and they had a few sketches and ideas about how they wanted to be um, based around weather and emotion and and uh, and that I could come on board and, and be a part of things and, and, and help out in a, in a three-person founder team. And, and I was super excited, you know, and so Will and I signed together to work together and then I was brought on to Weather Report after they had hired this outside artist, a guy named Denton, um, you know, nice guy. You know, he was working hard and, 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 and delivering on, on art stuff. And, you know, this, this is where the first cautionary tale comes, right? We didn't sign any paperwork beforehand. And that is a huge problem. You know, like regardless of whether you're working with your friends or not, always sign paperwork, always understand the deals you were doing. That was everyone in the room's mistake at the time. He worked for us for about a week and a half creating concepts for his characters underneath Zach's creative direction. Uh, when you look at the weather report art, in my opinion, um, it's so entrenched in, you know, L.A. street skateboarding culture. Uh, it has testaments to uh, World Industries characters and that early like flip skateboarding ideal, um, just like how Zach grew up. You know, Zach grew up in L.A., um, part of graffiti gangs and, and around people who were doing, you know, very culturally relevant things. And so when I see that art, I see Zach. Um, and it, and he he gets on to calls with Dentin and is talking over uh, over Zoom about you know how to do this with the head and you know how to you know how I want things to look and you know Dentin's enacting Zach's vision and then after a week and a half uh, there's some negotiation about money and what's going on you know I'm removed at this point because you know I'm on board to help with different areas of of things going on and, and it's like Web three strategy and and helping and that sort of stuff and so. It turns out that we need to find a new artist and that, you know, they let Denton go and we need to find a new artist to make Zach's vision again. Um, and we find a new artist, uh, an amazing guy called Sloan Kettering, a fantastic uh, tattoo artist based out of Las Vegas, um, who comes in and, and starts drawing the stuff again. And, you know, we back to square one drawing stuff. We'd already released original parts of the artwork that Denton had, had drawn. Um, and had caught up in this like hype cycle because at the time people couldn't couldn't be more excited about it. You know, it was like such a fresh looking PFP. Yeah. Um, 
so communicable across so many different kinds of you know races and cultures and creeds and everything and we just get cracking on on getting this artwork done and a week before we go live Denton comes out of nowhere and releases his own project um, with a thousand more uh, NFTs in the collection using the same artwork and basically releasing at the same time a document saying that we have stolen his IP. Um, it then devolves very quickly into us getting on Spaces. And you know what? I reckon that's probably my fault because I was like, we need to get on Spaces and we need to we need to talk to the public about this. You were trying to get it, get in front of it. 100%. Yeah. You know, like uh, I, I've always, always, always lived my life with being trying and trying to be as transparent and honest as possible. And I'm like, if you get up there and you speak the truth, then it will resonate with people. Um, and this is where that didn't happen, right? You've got two artists who've had when I say two artists, I mean Zach and Will, right. um, who've had their their genuine IP and ideas stolen. They were working on this for four to five months prior to even us putting it on Twitter. And for Will, it's the second time he's had his IP stolen um, through, through 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 different ways. And you've got you know two people who who are heated, who are upset, who are frustrated because we've just read a document that basically defames us as human beings says that we're the worst people it's released by nft ethics who you know everyone has something to say about um we weren't reached out to for comment it just came out and as we all know in the web3 space people love to pick up a pitchfork people love to get angry people love to get upset and for me it was like a weird rock and a hard place thing because i'm here to support my friends and i'm here to support this project that i believe in and i understand but i've built my entire life off of respecting artists, making sure they get the lion's share, making sure that I can reframe what management means. And so it was bizarre because I'm in this position now where I'm being vilified for something that isn't true um, and just super tough to deal with, you know, because no matter how loud you scream and shout, was the original spaces handled terribly? Yeah, absolutely. Were we harangued on stage by people who were actually secretly working for Denton's team? Yes, absolutely. Um, and we're all in on this sort of like wider thing that had been brewing for three or four weeks that we had no idea about that completely caught us off guard. Yeah. And so it wasn't a great spaces. Things were said in a way that weren't palatable to the listeners. I totally get that. Um, but it, all it was at the end of the day were people trying to protect the things that they've built and it really took the wind out of our sails. 100%. Yeah, it was a it was a tough day. I remember jumping into that spaces and you could hear the anger and hurt in Will and Zach's voices and you coming on and trying to be a voice of reason. And it very much was I saw I think we saw the worst of the space that day. Um, and, and even to the fact of like when that space has ended, another space to pop up for like to hear the other side of the story. Mm-hmm. Um it, it was unfortunate, and I, I wonder with a bit of hindsight or being able to look back now with a bit of hindsight, you know, what would you have done differently? What do you think that says in terms of like a reflection of our space? And have you like, yeah, are there any lessons to be taken away from from that experience? Yeah, I think the lesson here is to get your ducks in a row before you go public with things. My initial knee-jerk reaction was like, let's get on a space and let's discuss this mm-hmm. because people want to know the truth and I want to tell them the truth. And then it very quickly devolved into 
kangaroo court court of public opinion deciding what they wanted to do and people coming up and telling us that we're the worst human beings in the world and two or three days later we did get all our ducks in a row we released our own set of evidence a video of zach on zoom talking to denton and and guiding his hand and all this other stuff and uh you know and a bunch of different like a huge document full of just texts and and backs and forths and like if people had potentially been able to receive that information first and then we went on a space and talk about it. It might have been very different. But people had read this NFT ethics report, made up their mind, come onto spaces, heard not what they wanted to hear, a bunch of emotional founders who've just had their IP taken away from them and then devolved into nothing, you know. And so really, I think and it's super, super hard to say, but you need to get your ducks in a row and then come out with it. And silence is silence. Right. You know, like if you're not saying anything, then you're not fueling anything. You will obviously need to say something at some point, but it does not need to be immediately. Um, You can let it soak in, understand and then come out with what you need to do, because I feel like if we just waited 24 hours and put all of our information in a docket and responded with a physical tweet rather than having emotional voices talk about something that we've been working on for months, uh, I think we'd be in a different situation. But things happened as they are and and you can't change it you just have to move and learn yeah and i would say so the court of public opinion definitely had a verdict and then you know there were other people that would say after like you guys still minted and i would love for you to talk about where the project is today there are people out there that would then look and i've seen it on twitter say that weather report is a rug and that the founders just took the money and up and left what would be your response to that well i I think it's a ridiculous comment considering what we've managed to achieve regardless of being shot in the kneecap, both kneecaps, um, just before Mint. You know, we've been around eight months now. Um, we have done two massive Weatherfest shows. The first one being in LA was the biggest event during NFT LA where we had um, everyone from, you know, YG and Ray Stram would perform and, 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 and an amazing community come together to it to enjoy time together. We did it in New York as well. Um, we've released a whole bunch of different initiatives, whether that's Solidity Storm coding courses where we're teaching people uh, through our devs how to you know, learn to put their artwork on the blockchain and code, um, whether it's these Weather Factory events we have where people get together with Slonar artists and, and create new one of ones for the collection, whether it's all the clothing we've released or the or the or the things that we've been doing. You know, we, we do spaces every week, we do a town hall every month, uh, we do whale calls in the Discord, and people don't care about that because they don't see it. They made up their mind eight months ago and they decided that it was a rug and no one else could tell them otherwise. And so what we have been doing ever since that point is making sure that we can tr- provide value as much as we can to our holders and the people who genuinely believe us and understand what we're trying to achieve. And it's never easy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like it's one of the hardest things to do after something like that. And if it was a rug, we would have just walked away. Right. And we would, there wouldn't be a discord. There wouldn't be spaces. There wouldn't be anything, but we have any, albeit small, amazing, passionate community who are excited about where we're going and what we're doing and and actually being physically involved whether it's through whale calls or otherwise with the decisions that we make and where we go and someone said to me the other day they were like everything sometimes needs to be burned to the ground in order for you know the phoenix to rise up and although it can seem rather cheesy like there is nothing lower you know like we we've been burned by the majority of the people in the space but as long as we turn up and as long as the people who believe in us turn up and we continue to try and 
put one foot in front of the other, at some point people will realize that we're still passionate, we're still excited. And maybe that's the next bear market. Um, who knows? But it can't be a rug just because the price went down. Or because people stopped paying attention. Exactly. Or people just decided, made up their mind, and they were like, well, that's that then, isn't it? It's a rug. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, it gets into a, a little bit of a different piece, which is that, like, people who make these projects, you know, they make money. They, you know, they also have feelings, right? And I know that that's not what people want to hear, yeah. right? You know, like, we are all human beings, all trying to do our best. And sometimes your best isn't good enough. And that's sometimes a really hard pill to swallow. You know, like we were up against massive amounts of adversity and didn't have the success we truly wanted to find, but we're still extremely successful in my mind by the community that's remained behind. You know, we're not going anywhere. Um, we have multiple different verticals and avenues in which we're trying to explore to, to, to broaden our reach, whether that's wholesale clothing, whether that's um, you know, event planning, whether that's meetups, all this other stuff, you know, we're trying to do our best in a, in an environment that is not great. And, you know, I'll let the court decide, um, next year who was right. Yeah. Um, because I know. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you kind of touched on it a bit. Um, if you'll allow me to like go into the space, I'd love to talk Please. about, you know, how the space has really impacted you. You have, you're a very public person in terms of your influence in the space. People know you, um, they have made opinions of you one way or another. And I know that it took a significant toll on you. And, you know, there was a point this past year when you tried to take your life. Um, absolutely, like, horrible moment. And so I'd love to know, you know, what you can share about that experience, where you are today, how you are mentally. Mm. Um, and, yeah, what, what lessons you've learned. Yeah, I mean, so the spaces happened. We went straight into the office. Uh, after that, uh, we had a, an office in West Hollywood. And we just tried to game plan. And all at the same time, my friends are reaching out to me one by one. You need to leave this project. You need to get out. You are still savable. You know, the other, the other guys are done. You know, you need to leave, protect what you have built in this space and move on. Um, and so I'm caught between a rock and a hard place because I know the friends that I'm working with in this project are good people. I know what the truth is. Um, and yet I have this out through a crack in the doorway. And maybe if I just said publicly that I didn't want to be a part of it or that I didn't know or understand and play dumb, it could be different. Um, and it was a real like crisis of conscience. I remember calling my friend Andrew and having a, a long talk with him about it, talking with Vinny at the same time who was staying with me at the time. And I came to the decision that I just couldn't leave, right? Like, and it wasn't because... I didn't have the strength to do so, but it was because it wasn't morally correct. You know, like I, I, I based my entire Twitter persona, general life, everything off of just trying to be as transparent and honest and kind as possible. You lead with kindness. There's very little that can hurt you. And I, that, that idea bit me in the ass at the, at the end of it. But I wasn't going to be the most recent white guy to leave his two black friends, creatives, um, to carry the heat. You know, like I think that there's been too many times in history where that has literally happened. And especially black IP being stolen is one of the most prolific things. When you, if you go back to jazz music, like all been stolen by uh, by predominantly white people. And, and I'm not trying to bring race into it in any way, but I'm just trying to describe my psyche at the time yeah. where I, was, I didn't know if I could live with myself if I did that, yeah. you know, knowing that I knew what the truth is. And so it was like, do you protect your reputation or do you 
um, continue on into the darkness. And I was like, well, I have my friends here and I'm going to do that. And so I remember being in that office for about eight hours and I got up to leave and I had made the decision in the back of my head. I was like, I'm going to kill myself. And I know that that is quite like a bold thing to say. And I think like I grew up with this idea that, and it sounds ridiculous, and I only say it hopefully that other people can resonate with what I'm saying is that I grew up with this idea that nothing could truly hurt me because I could always just take my own life. Um, you know, I grew up admiring musicians like Kurt Cobain from Nirvana um, and artists like um, uh, to- uh, uh, like Thompson um, and, you know, people who've just like, you know, Hunter S. Thompson took his own life at 67 um, and, you know, just sort of turn the demons off and when I was younger I was like wow okay that's a superpower you know like no matter how bad it is no matter what people think about you you know if you have the capacity to be able to do that then nothing can hurt you and that is an incorrect statement let me say that straight off the bat that's what I used to believe um, and it's not the truth it's actually a parody of the truth because right. you're, you're 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 telling yourself that you can get away with whatever you want when really you should be working through those emotions and you should be growing from from pain and from heartbreak and not seeing that as an opportunity to just end it all. And anyway, I left the office and I remember very clearly like dapping up Will, Zach and Pierre, our photographer at the time. And I looked them in the eye like a couple extra seconds longer because I was like, this is the last time I'm going to see my friends. Like this is, this is how it's going to happen. And I drove back back home Vinny was like asleep in in my living room and he woke up he's like you're all right and I was like yep I'm fine I was like go back to bed everything's okay and then I literally left the house and drove to um this bridge in Santa Monica and like sat with my legs over it and it was like wearing a t-shirt and shorts I was freezing and I was like just crying to myself because I just genuinely was at my wits end and the static that had happened from like and this all happened in in the space of a day right the mm-hmm. the the spaces happened in the morning I went into this, like, I think it was mainly just a culmination of people not understanding what I was trying to say, right? I always thought that the way that I spoke could change people's opinions, could help people understand what was going on in my head. And for the first time in my life, I sat somewhere, said the truth, and didn't have people respond the same way that I wanted them to. and, And in my mind, I think, when I look back, I was like, but I'm telling the truth. You know, like I am saying what I believe, what I understand. And yet everyone is saying I'm the worst person in the entire world and I shouldn't be here. And I think, you know, I think of it like TV static. It grows, it grows, it grows, it grows. And suddenly you can't think clearly anymore. And so you end up on the side of a bridge, you know, and you end up there ready to stop the static from clouding your mind and your judgment. Um, A police officer came probably about an hour after I was there and like pulled me down by my back. Um, I didn't see it happening because I was in floods of tears and everything. He pulled me back off the back and he just gave me a chat for like 30 minutes and he was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I just basically couldn't put two words together. Um, and he was like, go home, get some sleep. He's like, Better, like, life is worth more than this. You know, like doesn't matter what happened today, tomorrow's a different day. And those words didn't sink into me at the time. I just was dejected and, and sad and I couldn't believe that I'd ended up where I was. And I went home and then the next morning I couldn't get out of bed and all credit to Vinny who literally got me out of bed, called my friends around, took me for lunch, started talking to me. 
um, and, and getting me back ground. But it was it was tough. And that's not to ask for sympathy. That's not to for anything other than just like I think it's important to talk about how things affect people. Yeah. You know, um, there's this like wag me culture that is fantastic in ways and toxic in other ways. And I think that that's probably Web3, right? Fantastic in some ways and yeah. super toxic in other ways. And all I can say is I'm just so thankful for my friends, right? Like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my friends. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for abject kindness. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people going out of their way. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for cool cats. I wouldn't be here for a lot of different reasons. And I think that just waking up every morning now, I have to remember that those thoughts won't ever go away and they might get smaller and they might manifest, but life grows around it. You know, like those, the idea that these thoughts in a bubble in the middle can dissipate into nothing is incorrect but really what we do is add life around those thoughts you know so that they become smaller in perspective to everything else and yeah thankful um thankful to be here thankful to be where i am thankful for my friends thankful for the support thankful for the thousands of dms of people who sent me love and admiration and care and kindness and sent their personal phone numbers and told me to call them um please anyone who feels that way um, or is thinking of taking their own life or doing something drastic, please reach out to me because I don't want anyone to be where I was. Um, and yeah, just thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm, for the long. No, it, I am very thankful and, and grateful that you would share that story because I do think it will help a lot of people. And uh, being your friend through that and to this day and seeing you know how you show up every day no matter what the court of public opinion is, I, I do think it is incredibly important that people understand that, you know, we may be JPEGs on a computer screen, but these are real people. And so, you know, it's fun to shitpost and there's a place and time for it, but we need to remember not to be cruel and to to lead with empathy and to also check in on our friends um, mm-hmm. because it's not always rainbows and, and sunshine to be a person of influence. It puts you under under the microscope. I mean, yeah. we were literally having a conversation last night of like, oh, should you mint something that you got? Because if you go to sell it, it's just going to be people, you know, raining hellfire on you. Yeah. And it's it's crazy, isn't it? Because a lot of people didn't start off being like, I want to be an influencer. Right. And I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to be like the next Kim Kardashian and I'm going to do this other stuff. People just started tweeting tweeting about the things that they were doing, tweeting about the NFTs they were minting. And then over the course of a year of got 10k 20k 30k 150k followers you know for being the people that they are and it's so hard to to find that balance don't get me wrong and there isn't a perfect answer to it but it's like you release a project of course you want people with platforms supporting it how do you repay those people with platforms you give them a free mint um is it a perfect system absolutely not um in this case you can see like especially like i think it's accentuated because we're in the depths of a bear market and this liquidity has turned up out of nowhere everyone's like wow i didn't realize like seven thousand eth could come out in less than 24 hours didn't realize people had that much money and so then it accentuates those those voices become louder you know like fuck this space yeah and a lot of people are hurting right now like a it's it's easy to be hypercritical when you have a lot of 20 somethings that saw more money than they had ever seen in their entire life disappear in a blink of an eye Mm -hmm. and then they see other people win and that is something i think at their core often a lot of people go why why can't that be me and so they look to like fling mud at them Hmm. um and so it's just it's a very dangerous 
game, in my if opinion. You're, if you're in a casino and you're at a roulette table and the man next to you wins $100,000, do you immediately tell him to fuck off? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's the same principle in yeah. a way, you know, it's like, I, I understand that there is influence and there's backdoors and there's channels and stuff like that, but it's relatively the same principle, you know, like people are just trying to take their foundational knowledge in whether it's chart analysis or technical analysis or volume analysis or community vibes or whatever and trying to come together to understand where they can make money and some people are going to be worse than others and some are going to be better than others and so vilifying people for being good at gaming the system is kind of superfluous in my opinion because it's like i understand like i understand like vilifying people for gamifying the system in a way that doesn't make sense or is, is unfair and unjust as a thing but you know that's what capitalism is right yeah. like that's the market right you know like there's just the way that it works it's so frustrating and so like i think it's like kinky kinky bedbuds um uh, fudrick douglas he was like what was he said the other day he was like get your money up not your funny up <laughs> <laughs> and i and it's it's true it's like you miss the mint a shame go away and try and get the next one yeah you know because it's gone yeah. and so like why would you purposely pain yourself thinking about what could have been yeah well i'd love to switch gears a little bit definitely want to dive into nocturnal through the lens of you know you've had a very uh eventful last year and i think you've been able to learn a lot uh through these different projects and managing people like Vinny and will how have you taken those learnings into building this this company with nocturnal yeah a great question it's it's a game of of constant iteration um, you know, as the space moves and the space changes and artists' needs and representation changes, you need to move with it. Um, we were very keen to create something that sat between both the Web 2 world and the Web 3 world. Um, but it's important to realize that Web 3 has constant changing goalposts and what was hip yesterday might not be hip tomorrow. And it comes in a foundation principle of sitting down with your artists, understanding what their most insane goals are, right? For Vinny, he wants a, a float in the Macy's Day Parade. And I was like, what about letters on the moon? Do you know what I mean? Like, that that's where I would go, yeah. insanely. But Macy's Day Parade. Um, and, you know, at the bottom level, it's like, how do we get through the next week? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are we going to do in order to use our time better? And so I think that a lot of what artists in this space may need without necessarily knowing it yet, or maybe they've gotten to a point of knowing it now, is that sort of idea of, like, wider planning right you're an artist you're there your brain works in a different way from mine you make artwork that doesn't mean you also have to be a community manager doesn't mean you also have to be your own manager doesn't mean you have to be your own accountant your own you know all this other stuff that people need teams for um the idea of letting your creative process out to more people is scary especially to artists i totally understand that you know you have something you want to protect you have a vision you have a long-term thing but what I would recommend to anyone is that, like, look look into your friends and the people who care about you. Vinny and I became friends first before we became business partners, and we managed to manage that relationship extremely well, but it's rooted in this deep understanding of friendship. So rather than being his manager, I might more likely be his business partner, right-hand man. He's an artist, and he turns around to me, and he says, you know, what do I do about this? What do I do about this? What do you think we should do here? And it's like two brains are better than one sometimes. Um yeah, I went off topic. I'm so is it fair to say, <laughs> no, no, I'll get it. Is it fair to say with, I, I'd love to know what your requirements are for working with an mm-hmm. artist, because it sounds like at, at its core, 
you're looking for someone who doesn't necessarily need to be managed, right? You're looking mm-hmm. for someone who is a business partner that you're going to align with and, and build these dreams with. Yeah, I mean, look, if I'm being completely brutally honest, yeah, uh, we as Nocturnal work with people who are already successful, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and what they need is management in the sense of life curation to a degree. You know, we want to make sure that we can come in, relieve all the stress that they're feeling, whether that's by plugging in assistance, whether that's by plugging in uh, like like calendars and meetings and being that person. I mean, like, honestly, the f- the main thing that artists want that I've found from everyone that I've, I've talked to is like, I don't want to ask for money for this. It feels awkward. I don't mm. want to um, have to tell this person no because I don't want to ruin my relationship with them. I don't want to be guilted into doing this thing because I've known this person for 10 years. And so what they need, for lack of a better term, is a bouncer at the door. Mm. They need someone to be like, hey, Finney's not doing that. Um, You know, he's not doing it for at least $5,000 more. Or, you know, like, we can't do this right now literally because we're too busy. We love you. We want to work with you in the future. That shouldn't be an artist's responsibility, right? Because that's anxiety-ridden. That's that's horrible. But, like, you get the term manager, people expect that from managers. They expect to be told no. Um, and so we work with people who were classically successful, whether that's in the fine art world, whether that's in the web three world. And it's all about those small left and right, tiny adjustments that seem minute in the wider scale of things that end up making everything a well-oiled machine, you know, whether it's like, well, we're making sure that NFT MIC, Art Basel, NFT LA, all these other things, we're going to release this here, do this here, do this here, aim towards here, aim to our super genesis, aim to this other stuff. Things that artists want to achieve, we can put them down to manageable goals inside quadrants that make sense, you know, that are achievable. And so that then when we pull out on a wider scale in two years time, it's like, wow, look at what we all have achieved in general, putting it down into bite-sized pieces, giving artists enough time to go away and work on their art and not have to worry about the minutia. Um, and it's an art form in itself, I'd say. Um, and it's something that we are constantly changing, constantly iterating. And I think that if anyone takes anything away from this answer, it's that it's the emotional friendship connection that gives you the trust in order to be able to do those things and to make those choices and to be able to stand in front of those artists and be like, we need to do this. Right. Yeah. And I, it seems like trust is so at the core of, of everything that you do with your roster. What do you think of like as in terms of the different verticals that you work with across, um, you know, Vinny and Devin and, and the artists on your roster, like what are the key places that you're trying to plug into right now? Yeah, a great question. I think that we, we're trying to do it all, weirdly. Um, the idea for Nocturnal comes from my love of artists from the 1950s in New York onwards. You know, you had... Andy Warhol and Jean-Michel Basquiat and Jeff Koons and and all these amazing artists that lived from you know the fifties to to the two to the two thousands basically who basically lived in this like art cabal right you know where no one worked some people worked with each other some people fought each other some people fucked each other some people hated each other some people burned their art you know this other stuff but it was it pushed culture forward and so I wanted to dilute the essence of that build it into a company. Uh, that had a roster of artists that were completely different from each other. You know, Devin is an oil painter. Finney works in multiple different mediums, whether it's digital art or street art, you know, furniture. Um, you know, Jack Bridgerton's photographer. Um, you know, Will's photographer. You know, Perrin is uh, an, an amazing artist that works with, 
both hands ambidextrously and and you know has synesthesia and and like adds a whole different like like level and element to, to artists and you then come to a point where you're like okay how do these artists do well in their own lane and they're exciting things you know what does Devon's relationship to fine art galleries like Christie's and Sotheby's mean to potentially Villy down the future and what does Vinny's relationship to NFTs and Twitter mean to Jack who might want to get into NFTs and what does Jack's relationship to magazine photography and Vogue and GQ mean to to Perrin a timepieces artist and having this this roster that is completely different based in art and love friendship if they want it crossovers if they want it um and sort of creating this like powerhouse of connections across all mediums uh not all mediums but all verticals um and you know like we're still scratching the surface of what that looks like right now because all of artists are doing amazing different things but i i do think that while it might be a large task to take on the benefits of those things will ring true uh, like two three four years down the line because suddenly in all of these different industries, people have heard of Nocturnal or they've heard of these artists. Yeah, there is. we were talking about this at dinner the other night, the idea of a collective where everyone is able to like learn and grow from one another. And it's not about doing things in isolation, isolation as much as it is about building that together. Are there any examples you can give of, of big initiatives that you've taken on, whether it is with a, a Vinny or, or someone else on the roster of, of what it looks like to work with Nocturnal? Like, how do you build up someone on your roster? Yeah. Um, a really good question. I mean, am I going to give away the secret sauce here? <laughs> no, no, I'm only joking. I mean, I, I, t- I take Vinny for example, because, you know, I personally like manage Vinny and started with Vinny. And so I probably have a better um, way of describing how, how it's happened in that way. And I think the timeline is shared but it's also considered. So we released letters with Vinny. Um, and from that point, there's a cash injection. There's a, a respect injection. There's a statement point as an artist. He's come out in the NFT space. This is the guy. This is the, this is the letters guy, right? And then you go, how do we capture this excitement that everyone's seeing in the space around this artist? And so we specifically made the letters project come out two days before nft nyc so that we then flew to nft nyc and every single person who had minted a letter and was at nftc nft nyc came to watch vinnie do a mural and that was the idea of solidifying irl straight after nft minting and it was like you know we talk about this a lot um it's that like people have the mindset of a goldfish in this space. It's like you can't keep people's attention for more than two or three days before they move on to the next thing. And so keeping that in mind, trying to reinforce what's happening is important. It's like, why should you hold this thing where you just minted it, the price went up, and now you're coming to NFT MIC and you get to see Vinny in person. He's going to draw on a hat. He's going to draw on a skateboard. He's going to draw on whatever you bring. And then so we've given you an NFT. It's gone up in price because people are excited. You've then flown to New York, which you were going to do anyway and come to NFT NYC, and you've got to meet Vinny in person. He's got to draw on something for you, and you've solidified yourself as a fan of that artist, right? You're trying to... And this is not us trying to trick people. It's just trying to give people that connection to that artist. Artists being in Discord's great, you know, talking back and forth. Artists being in IRL, even more important. But what we're trying to do is create fans, right? You know, and how do you look after fans, you tell them to turn up with a t-shirt, turn up to turn up with a hat, then you'll draw all over it, fantastic. It's going to make you far less likely to sell your 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 high value asset. 
And you take something like that and you continue to move it on and you're like, okay, well, a hundred different people reach out every single month and they want to do a trait for their NFT. They want to do a collaboration with Vinny. They want to do, you know, whatever it may be. And we just say no to 98% of them unless they are at a point where we can help each other exclusively, you know, and then the artist builds and grows and then maybe we release a one of one. Maybe we make sure that we're doing spaces in a certain way, make sure we make sure we're getting them on panels, make sure we're talking and it's like, it's a snowball rolling downhill, but you oftentimes have to sort of like move it left, move it right, you know, to make sure it's still rolling downhill in the right way because Vinny is a hyper talented artist. He's an extremely amazing human being and all we're trying to do is show people him in a way that makes them understand what we already know. And it goes on behind the scenes and it goes on a lot of behind the dark and it's, it's again, tiny little little pieces left and right, but it's what helps make him where he is now. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because this idea of momentum, and this might be the like one big idea for the episode, it doesn't work like physics, where it's, you know, this idea of inertia and a object in motion stays in motion is the exact opposite in terms of, of how to think about building in this space. It's almost like a slow, like serotonin drip that needs to happen with these communities and so constantly getting something in front of them but also finding a way that it's not too much right mm-hmm. because you don't want to be so readily available i was joking with someone the other day diplo was playing at uh acl and he was playing side stage which everyone was like really surprised by like thinking he would be a headliner but the man plays like 360 shows a year he's so available that it doesn't make sense for him to be the headliner because people know they can just see him in a week. So it's not like the same draw. So that delicate balance of like, you want to leave people wanting and expecting something more, but you need to be just enough in front of them to like keep them engaged, knowing that the spotlight can move so quickly. Yeah, I'm curious how, as you're, um, is that how you see the space and, and how you look to build? For sure. And I mean, if you look at Vinny's career in, in the last year, we haven't minted a lot. We minted right. we minted letters. He's minted two different one of ones. Um, and then we did the year, I mean, a couple of collaborations and stuff. Um, but that's on purpose. That's the serotonin drip. Um, serotonin emotion stays in motion. <laughs> no, um, but uh, yeah, um, it, it's important. It's again, part of that curation. I mean, like every artist can come at it differently, but I think that that's sort of like desire to want more you need to be left wanting more otherwise it's going to be you're going to be inundated like you, you, the diplo reference is perfect because i have seen diplo five times this year all <laughs> at, all at separate crypto events and someone said to me and it's like yeah but have you seen blue hair diplo and it's like <laughs> so we're getting to this point now where it's like it's literally that 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 crazy he plays that much or does that much and that's not to say that people can't release everything they want to release and do it right. in a different way but i think at this point in time in this space it's important to realize that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and oftentimes it can really feel like a sprint because people are like, that's a rug, you know, like this, like, like again, like goldfish mentality. Like, I don't care about that. All these PFP projects dead, this other stuff. And it's like, no, just because people's attention are on, on it now doesn't mean it won't be later. And I think that there's too quick of a ability to abandon something or an idea just because it doesn't have the spotlight. If you have the creative desire to do something um, and it might take two years, then submit to that idea, get people around you that can help you fulfill that idea and know that the work is seen. You know, it has to be by some people. You know, I know there's discords out there that 
the floors are decimated and people turn up every day because they found friends in a community. That is powerful. That is capital. It might not be redeemable capital at this point, but if you continue on and trudge on, then when new people turn up in the space and they're looking for friends, then they might well stumble into your Discord. Um, this sort of like fast food, quick disposable, you know, puff bar nature um, is just unfair and unfun and yeah not chains. sustainable not sustainable yeah yeah so we are coming up on the hours so i want to wrap up with a couple questions one would be you know you mentioned earlier how you tend to work with or one of the requirements is is artists being already commercially successful and viable obviously there's entire business model as to like why that needs to be the case i'm curious for artists that are coming from like the tr- traditional world like devin's a great example there is inherently like a lot of reputational risk in coming into Web3. Mm-hmm. And I remember I sat at a, it was Derek Adams was giving a talk at Basel last year, obviously a very successful artist in his own right, came into Web3 like pretty late in his career. And he talks about how a lot of his contemporaries basically threw up their hands and would be like, why Why would I do this? Like, I'm, I'm already successful. Uh, and then you have people like the Cooper Turleys of the world mentioning how you know, we shouldn't expect... Uh, artists that are already successful to come in because you know there's just the risk reward doesn't make sense what is kind of your pitch to those types of artists of of why they should be participating in this space right now yeah i think it's selling the technology right and the medium i think to respectable fine artists a lot of their like desire and interest in NFTs doesn't come from money. You know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, they're just doing this as a cash grab or whatever. But I think it's like exploring that new medium. I think that digital permanence through the blockchain, you sit down, you explain what provenance can look like. Um, I have a, a quick story that I'll tell like very quickly. Yeah. My mum bought this painting uh, from a estate sale in California and I must have been... 10 years old and it was like this old radio DJ who had an estate sale. My mom did a fine arts degree. She you know, has done a t- whole bunch of like buying and reselling and stuff like that. The OG DJ, shout out. Mom. Um, <laughs> shout she, out mom. <laughs> yeah. she found this painting uh, and it's a, it's a ballerina, this beautiful ballerina. And she says like, like has this like scribbly um, signature at the bottom. And she goes, that's a Kandinsky. And I was like, I didn't know what that was at the time or whatever. And Kandinsky doesn't paint portraits of, of ballerinas you know he paints very abstract types of artwork and she takes it back and we it's been on our wall it's still in our house now it's called the dancer we call it the dancer um and she sent it off to the kandinsky institute which is an institute of 10 different human beings who are kandinsky scholars and they decide whether or not something is real or not you know is authenticated she sent it off they had it for two years right they had this entire painting for two years and apparently nine out of the 10 people agreed it was a Kandinsky and one did not. Wow. And so it couldn't get authenticated. And the idea was that uh, apparently there was a period in Kandinsky's life that scholars do not want to appreciate where he had an affair with a ballerina and he changed his medium up and his art style and everything else like that. Um, and it didn't get authenticated. And so every time I talk about provenance, I talk about blockchain, I, I think of that because I'm like, there's a fucking Kandinsky sat at my mum's <laughs> house um, and, and, and no one will authenticate it because there's no way to understand it other than 10 old people in a room. Um, and this is different with the blockchain. And, and and when we go back to finances, we talk about other stuff and it's like, wouldn't it be great to sit back in 80 or 90 years and be like, I minted that. I minted it pre-merge. I did all this other stuff. It's like so many different milestones and, and ways to create permanence. I'm like, well, if... 
there's a nuclear apocalypse and we still somehow have the internet, then your art might still exist. You know, like there's that thought of the unknown. And so really what we're seeing at the moment is the fine artists who want to enter the space are people who are willing to take that risk, whether it's the risk of, you know, potentially damaging their reputation because NFTs aren't cool or fashionable in the regular world yet. Um, because they believe in the technology in the forefront and they're like, hey, well, it's cool to be weird and it's cool to be different. And if you can kind of sell that idea of why all these people are here and all you need to do is look at how many hyper-intelligent people are in this space already, um, then you can come around to finding that a lot of very intelligent and amazing artists don't care about the risk because they care about making their artwork and they care about putting it on the blockchain and they care about permanence and provenance and being the first or being the first of their kind. Amen to that. So we'll wrap it up in the same way that we do with everyone. I ask every guest what their one big idea is for the audience. So before we leave everyone, what is your one big idea? Damn, man. I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, I think... Man, I had an answer to this, and now I feel like it sounds contrived and a bit, a bit up myself. I think less of a I think our the the my one big idea is I don't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean we can use the the one from earlier cuz I do think it is as people are looking to build in the space this idea of momentum mm-hmm. actually being contrary to how physics operates is is something that people should keep in their mind if you're a creator thinking of how you continue to build community in the space. It, it takes time and you have to keep going at it. It's not just, oh, I had this one bis- big success and now the ball is going to roll down the hill and I'm good and I can lean back. It's like, this is why you know companies like Nocturnal exist is because you do have to continue to like push and prod and poke mm-hmm. and make sure that it's going down the hill the right way and you end up in the right destination. Okay. So my one big You've idea. You got it. All right, let's go. My, <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's fantastic. And you're right. Yeah, and, and, and actually it's indicative of my entire life. You know, my one big idea would be momentum. You're absolutely right. Um, momentum is so key. And, and when I look back at what we've talked about in this interview, and I look back at my life over the last year, from meeting Vinny to managing Vinny to managing Will to creating a company to creating, you know, Weather Report to then doing all this other stuff, you know, like, and to... to being on the on on the edge of losing my life and then coming back and doing this other stuff and 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 trying to find myself in the world again it is all momentum whether you feel static at some point and you feel like time's running away from you from others uh at least keeping that idea of pushing forward and constantly iterating and trying to change and move and make things right you know as long as you lead with love and kindness um and some form of remote intelligence. It doesn't have to be, you know, prolific. Um, (laughs) You're going to do all right. You know, my mum said to me when I was young, she was like, there's no reason not to be kind. You know, kindness is free. Um, And it's hard to be kind sometimes. And it's easy to be cruel. But I would challenge everyone to try and be as kind as they can, as often as they can, because the recompense for just caring or just being a shoulder or just at least trying to sympathize will change your life. Um, and yeah, thankful to be here. Thankful for you. Thankful, thankful for your for friendship. You, Appreciate you. It's a great way to end it. Toby, thank you so much for coming on. Till next time, everyone. Thanks. Peace.
Thanks for listening to this week's edition of One Big Idea. As a thank you, head to onebigidea.xyz to claim your free OG status NFT. We'll be closing off minting after this initial run of episodes, so be sure to grab yours before they are gone. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.